Welcome to Smart Talk. I'm Scott Lamar. In what has to be considered a stunning upset, Donald J. Trump will be the 45th president of the United States. After a grueling, unprecedented campaign, Trump overcame the political establishment and polls that said he would lose and won the election with more electoral votes. Clinton appears to be leading in the popular vote. The vote for president was the main attraction, but Pennsylvania voters re-elected Pat Toomey as their U.S. Senator and Democrat Josh Shapiro as the high-profile Attorney General. We have a special day after Election Day uh, Smart Talk program. We're producing the show in the atrium of WITF's Public Media Center in front of a live audience. I want to welcome our audience to the program today, those who are here live and those who are at home or in the car listening as well. Joining us on the program is Dr. G. Terry Madonna, Director of the Center for Politics and Public Affairs, Professor of Public Affairs, and Director of the Franklin and Marshall College Poll. And uh, Dr. Madonna, welcome to the program. Thank you, Scott. We have had this planned for a long time now. But uh, I don't think I'm going out on a limb by saying that uh, what we're talking about today is not exactly what uh, was planned. If you go by uh, the polls, by the procrastination, procrastination, yeah, I'll get the word. We did uh, did procrastinate, yeah, procrastinate, yeah, there we go, (laughs) if we can get the word out. Um, So I'll start with the polls aside, let's talk about the electorate. Yeah. What happened? Well, basically, here's what happened. Secretary Clinton, their campaign was concerned all along about the African-American vote, the minority vote in general, and the millennials. They were down from what Obama did. So the enthusiasm that was speculated about proved to be accurate. That's why the Clinton campaign spent so much time in the battleground states and in Pennsylvania, in minority communities and in, on college campuses. Now let's flip it a bit. 40% of the Americans are white working class voters, white working class. Donald Trump doubled the number of white working class voters that Romney got four years ago. And if you look at our state and you go around to counties where out in the Southwest, up in the Northeast, what you find is a huge turnout there among white working class voters, high school educations or less. And, and let's come to grips with something. I want to interject one thing. This was also about class. This was class. This was the working class against the establishment and against those who, had, who are running our country and the Republican Party as well. Well, you just brought something up that uh, I, I want to kind of define, if you will. You know, who is the establishment? Because you know, I've heard, okay, the Republican Party, the government, uh, the government, us, the media, the media. Uh, posters, it. you know, that we all are establishment. Yeah. So you're saying that a majority of Americans said, or at least, I guess if you go by the popular vote, no, but uh, if you go by you the states who won, a, a large percentage of it. voters decided right. we don't like that anymore. That's right. And and what's amazing in the exit polls, sixty percent of the people overall said that Trump's not qualified to be president. Yet they were willing to go beyond that because of this angst and anger and frustration. Look, we, we have, if we take a look at Americans as a whole, we have two very serious problems. One is, one is in, in urban America, in minority communities where we're talking about jobs and education, and that has to change. 
but we also have a serious problem with the white working class in, in the old industrial Rust Belt. And who talked about the Rust Belt all throughout the campaign? And we've got two groups of Americans that aren't prospering, that aren't doing any. We have focused on one to some extent, but not nearly enough, African Americans, Hispanics in particular. But we also, the, the new president in the Congress has to deal with both. I'm not, you know, with the white working class, what are we going to do about trade? Uh, skills, what are we going to do about <clears throat> improving our education levels? There's a whole lot of things that need to be done. And I'm not just saying government should do it, but unless the lives of those two groups improve materially, we're going to continue to be torn apart. When you say torn apart, uh, going into this election, we've heard many times, in fact, we've addressed it on our program many times about a, a divided electorate, America being divided, right. uh, not just along Republican, Democratic lines, but uh, when it comes to issues, uh, just how they see the world. And I'm wondering today, because Trump has been a divisive candidate, and just using that statistic that you mentioned, 60 percent said that the, he is not qualified to be president, I, I wonder whether the divide is even bigger today. I mean, if I go yeah, by what I yeah. see on social media today, yeah. I mean, there are people out there who, you know, seriously are talking about leaving the country. You know. Some celebrities <laughs> already well, yeah, are yeah, on record. Yeah. But seriously, I mean, there are people who are just devastated and yeah. think that the end of the republic is near. Yeah. I mean, one possibility is that Trump was doing reality TV and that he really doesn't mean ev everything that he said. I was joking in a speech I, ge I, I gave, and I used to say, at one point, he's had 50 positions on the same issue. I was exaggerating an obvious point, but I don't know that he's going to be the Donald Trump we saw during the campaign. But how do you know that? We, we don't. That's and how do voters point. know that? They don't. They don't. And that's something that we're going to have. I mean, here's what's also. So Donald Trump wins. As we sit here today, I think the number is up to 388 electoral votes, and we don't have Michigan in. So he's gotten more electoral votes than George Bush did in 2000 and 2004. So he's got more electoral votes. He's likely to lose the popular vote. And twice in this century, twice in this century, we've had that happen. Now think about that for a minute. And so he's not the popular vote winner, he's the electoral vote winner, and what does that mean? In addition, the Republicans still control the Senate, 51. They, most of the odds makers said they were gonna lose the Senate. And the House, the Republicans did very well in the House as well. In our state, they picked up three seats in the state Senate, three. They now have what they call a veto-proof Senate. And they picked up seats in the House of Representatives. Imagine if you're Tom Wolf this morning, you're Governor Wolf, and you have to deal. And by the way, the legislature and Congress is more conservative this morning than it was, well, you know, when they take office than it was yesterday as a result of this election. No one saw it coming. And no. we, we're taking questions from our audience. Yeah. And also, if uh, someone would like to call in or send an email, they can do that, and uh, we'll answer those questions as well. 1-800-729-7532, or send an email to smarttalk at witf.org. And here's one of the questions that uh, many people have been wondering. I'm sure this has crossed your mind a few times. How did the polling miss the Trump surge? <clears throat> yeah. 
Well, it missed the surge because we underrepresented. Most of the polls got the Clinton numbers right, the percentage. They didn't get the Trump numbers right because everybody who was not accurate, and that's 99%, <laughs> just simply missed this huge increase in the white, in the white working class uh, voters in particular. And in some respects, if you go and you look around the country, there were 700 counties in pivotal states that were won by Obama four years ago. You know who won them this year? 700 counties. Donald Trump. That's exactly right. Donald Trump. So when you begin to look at the breakdown, you see what happened. Uh, it was the Clinton, it was the Democratic Party's failure to get their own core voters out. And the Trump campaign virtually doubled, as I indicated before, the white working class. In fact, here's a surprise. White college-educated men voted for Donald Trump. College-educated men. We had the biggest gender gap since 1980. Clinton won the women by 12 percent, and Trump won the men by 12 percent. Think about what I'm saying about the divide, not just that we see regionally, not just what we see between urban and suburb and urban. We have a huge divide in this country between urban America on the one hand and suburban and urban America on the other that has to be addressed, that has to be healed in some way if we're going to, if this country's going to move forward. Well, let me just put it in these terms because as we hear the analysis from, from last night. Rural America, you mentioned some of the, the counties here in Pennsylvania. Did rural America rise up yesterday? Yeah, there is no doubt about it. Rural America rose up and said, and somebody used this expression, and I think it says a lot. Many voters in our country right now ask, they feel that, that in America, in our country, that they're strangers. I want you to just process that. <laughs> Took me a while how to process that. You're an American and you feel that you're a stranger in your own country. That's how accelerated the change has been and that folks have been left behind. Sometimes culturally, educationally, and certainly financially which is a huge problem that I talked about when we opened, uh, opened this discussion. I'm jumping around on you, and Go I'm going ahead, to get fine. to uh, some of the questions from the audience here. But getting back to polls for just a moment, do pollsters have to change yes. what they do? Because there basically were two polls across the country that got it right, had right. Uh, Trump winning. That's right, yeah. And uh, certainly this pollster, we recognized it at, at Franklin and Marshall. Forty percent of the interviews we did this year were were interviews done online. We just simply can't do calls the way we have been doing with the rise in cell phone use and the refusals. By How many people have a landline and if you don't recognize the number, you don't go near the phone. Yeah. You, don't, you, don't begin, yeah, you don't begin the audience and virtually everybody is smiling and agreeing. You just don't do that. And we were off because we're experimenting for what we need to do five years if we're going to try to you know, gauge what people think about things. And all through my 25 years of doing this, I've been much more concerned about with what people think, about what's going on in their families, what's going on in their lives, what do they want government to do, what don't they want government to do. I'm more con in some ways, that's more important. The other thing we have to consider is this was one of those elections well, that was weird. <laughs> I mean, I'll be honest, that was strange, that just had elements to it that coalesced that we hadn't seen before.
I'm, I'm amazed when you think about how unique this is in American history. A guy who never, didn't, never held a public office before, right, who was a reality TV star, who said some of the most outrageous things that any presidential candidate, who ever heard of a candidate who said that their opponent should be in jail? Lock her up. I mean, I'm not, what I'm trying to say is how you can imagine the frustration that must exist among a large percentage of Americans who feel that they've lost their country and they're willing to vote for a guy who has qualities that 99% of the time would never have him get elected in our country when you, when you put it in those terms. I don't know, I've been a, I taught the American presidency for 30 years. I've never seen another candidate in an election I mean, we had Andrew Jackson, you know, a military guy, but he had at least been in the Senate for a while earlier in his career. But there's nobody quite like him in American history. We'll talk more about some of the issues that our audience has and questions they have here in just a moment. You're listening to Smart Talk on WITF, your home for NPR News and all things regional. I'm Scott Lamar. Welcome back to Smart Talk. It's a very special Smart Talk. There are those who are referring to today's special program, day after election, as politics and pastry, or pastries and politics. Did you get a pastry, Terry? <laughs> no, but that's I, okay. I know their audience uh, was taking advantage of that. But uh, our guest is Dr. G. Terry Madonna, director of the Center for Politics and Public Affairs, professor of public affairs, and director of the Franklin and Marshall College Poll. Uh, WITF's election 2016 coverage is supported by the Harrisburg Law Office of Saul Ewing, LLP. If you have a question or comment, 1-800-729-7532. Send an email to smarttalk at witf.org. We are getting some questions here uh, from our audience, Terry. And before we get into some of how President Trump will govern, How significant was the FBI director's announcement that the FBI would be opening up the email investigation to the outcome of the election? Yeah, I think it was, you know, an an influence. There's no doubt about it. You know, we had this long conversation going on about whether voters had made up their mind or not, you know, the the voters who hadn't decided. And I I was making the point that we had a larger pool of people who were, A, undecided, B, had a candidate, but who could change their mind. You got it? Who could change their mind. They supported someone, but they weren't sure. And the third element was the third-party candidates. And if you look at the final numbers for the third-party candidates, boy, they really dropped off. People were just not willing, I guess, to vote. You know, I'm going to vote at a a protest. They thought, "Uh uh-oh, I better cast a vote for one of the two candidates. Maybe that I like... Uh, that I dislike the least, which is another factor in this as well. And so 14% of the voters made up their mind in the last week or so of the campaign, and that occurs after that incident you, you talked about with the FBI director. I think it was a factor. I don't think it explains why the, the white-blue-collar workers doubled their vote. You got it? Why? In this state, for example, they voted twice as many of them for Trump as did for Romney. So my, my sense is that it contributed, but it still goes back to this angst and anger, this anti-establishment feeling, and the motivation by their voters. When Trump's people were saying, look at all these people at the rallies. 
Now about people who wouldn't talk to us. You follow me? We were hearing this all the time. I think there was something to that, more than I think most of us, because we hadn't seen it in that way before, Scott. I think most, most of us who do what I do just simply didn't expect that it would be that great. Okay, well, let's talk about the rallies because and I got a question from a listener actually earlier in the week when we uh, talked about doing this show. Marvin asked, uh, the candidates have been making a lot of campaign stops, giving stump speeches to the loyal attendees who support them. I would assume that anyone who attends these events have already been persuaded to support that particular candidate. So what is the value of a campaign rally? Do they make a difference? After all, they are speaking to the choir, so to speak. Now, I will add to that that uh, Donald Trump, throughout the campaign, right. based a lot of his popular yeah. what he perceived as his popularity on the number of people yeah. who attended those rallies. And you know, the question that Marvin asked is a good one: Can we learn anything from that? Yeah. Well, I mean, I I think what we learn is the size of the rallies and the enthusiasm. Imagine people standing in a line for 12 hours to hear someone give a speech that they've heard 50 times before. <laughs> it's not like, you know, we weren't, we didn't know that what, you know, uh, the content, well, in that sense, it, that was, I think, an important element. I don't think it explains all of the so-called shy vote. That, I love that word for the hidden vote, shy, the shy vote, you know, people who wouldn't talk to pollsters. And in fact, one of the things we're finding is that some of the Democrats who wouldn't talk to us we're really going to vote for Trump and didn't want to say, you got it? So that works, that, real, that really does work both ways. Well, if you go by the rallies, and again, this is something that Trump said that I think uh, many of us in the establishment uh, right. kind of poo-pooed, was that there was an enthousi enthusiasm yeah. gap between yeah. Trump voters and Clinton voters. And there was. And, I mean, no, granted, uh, the other night in Philadelphia when... Uh, Hillary and Bill Clinton and the president and Mrs. Obama were there, Bruce Springsteen, Bon Jovi, yeah. well, huge why did they crowd, come out? Independence <laughs> Hall, all that. That was an enthusiastic crowd, but that was kind of unusual for a whole yeah. campaign. Well, you had the president of the United States and you had what celebrities there that, that were performing? <laughs> you right. get the point. So I think that was a mixture of those. That was aimed at, at obviously millennials and again, the African-American vote in the city of Philadelphia, which didn't materialize Clinton's vote out of Philadelphia, did not equal Barack Obama's four years ago. <clears throat> and again, we're back to that root cause of the problem. And in a poll that we did, we did see more Trump enthusiasm among his voters than among, among her voters. And I think that turned out to be ex exactly right. Mm -hmm. All right, here's, um, here's a question from our audience. Please talk about the impact on the Supreme Court with the presidency of Donald Trump. Uh, already one vacancy and quite probably right. will be more in the next four years. Yeah. Is Roe versus Wade and other decisions up for being overturned? Well, I don't know about Roe v. Wade, but Trump has produced a list of 20 uh, potential nominees to the court, and he has circulated that, and conservatives seem quite content and quite happy with it. Make no mistake about it, if he does what he said he will do and pick from that list, the court will become more conservative. And although we do know we've had a number of Supreme Court justices, I won't get into who they were, throughout American history we thought would go one way and didn't go that way. Because once you have that tenure for life, who knows what will happen. But my sense is that the 
uh, division will be broken and it will be a more conservative court at the end of the Trump candidacy if he does what he says. And therefore, lots of things that are likely to come up are going to be decided that in a way that the conservatives will be happy about. I don't know that they'll revisit Roe v. Wade. The American electorate... Well, why wouldn't they? Why well, wouldn't they? It, because, it might, might, I mean, that's might. at the top of the conservative yeah, list. Yes, that's true. And remember that the American people, there has not been a substantial increase in support for abortion. Millennials are not cheering about abortion. Gay rights, yep. Uh, racial justice, yep, but not abortion. And the American people do not favor third-term abortion. I'm, I'm just saying what, what the American people t say. So you could see a modification of it. That wouldn't shock me. And the American public as a whole would not rise up in arms if at a certain point, if, you know, to save the life of the mother, that's one thing. Uh, I, don't, I don't think that would be a huge outcry. But overall, our society is changing and that's not, the millennials, there's 70 million of them in 10, 15 years, you can like this or not, they're gonna run the country. There's 70 million of them. All right, but let me push back for just a moment. You say overall the country is changing, but did yesterday's vote say, yeah. no, it's not? No, what it says is that there's a particular group of people who are disenchanted. And, and, and to be honest with you, they have concerns that have not been met by either the private sector or the public sector, and we have a responsibility to do that. But culturally, we're not overwhelmingly conservative anymore. Okay, you know, look what happened in the marijuana votes, you know, in states legalizing. Almost all of them passed, yeah, didn't they? Yeah, yeah, that's right. And so I don't think culturally we're getting more, and the millennials are not, and as I said, they're the largest age cohort, 70 million of them, as they track through and take up responsibilities in business and government and politics, uh, we're, I don't think we'll see, a, we'll see a big retreat on most of those items. Let me go through a few of the f phone calls that we have received. People may feel that uh, Trump is not totally qualified, but they want change. Well, yeah. They want someone who is not owned by politics, judges, and big business. I think and hope that uh, he will try to put the people first and do what he said he would. Hopefully he will put a stop to giving our country away to Ill illegal immigrants. You know, uh, just to follow up on that a little bit, Trump made news when he announced his candidacy by talking about illegal immigrants, Mexicans coming in, building the wall. That kind of went away as far as yeah. a focus in the last yeah. uh, few months. Yeah. Actually, the exit polls yesterday showed that of those who voted for Trump, the biggest reason they did, well, personalities aside, right. uh, was the economy. On the economy. Absolutely. That's the point I've, I've been making over and over about the white working class voters who are stuck where they are without the skills and job training to get other jobs. These are people whose families used to work in steel and iron and coke production and made, you know, what made the industrial era, not just in our state, but in our country. And that was a much more fundamental issue. Look, Trump backed off a lot of what he said about immigration, let's be honest about it. He backed off, well, we'll get to kicking 11 million people out down the road. We're going to go get the illegal, you know, the, the, uh, the felons, the, the uh, immigrants who are committing crimes. Those people we're going to kick out. I would be stunned if he tries to eliminate, you know, to force out 11 well, million people. Well, logistically, it's, it's, it's impossible. Yeah, I don't know how you do it. Uh, Shannon. 
in Chambersburg says, I'm part of the white working class, also LGBT. Trump voters, he knows, felt minorities were taking over. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think that's a good point. I mean, I think they felt that there was a disproportionate amount of attention uh, to uh, the minority community and to immigrants and not enough to, uh, to this particular group of people that we've been talking about. And I think we saw that in the vote yesterday. It was very clear in, you know, when we look at that group and what they care about and why they're angry, and as you accurately point out about the establishment, about government, about the media, this was a huge reaction to that. And, uh, and it'll all, now we'll have to see how Trump handles that and what happens in Congress and whether they can reach some kind of accommodation on some parts of an agenda that will, that will begin to help those, those folks. The election, and this is another question from the audience, uh, the election was mostly devoid of facts, solutions, and <laughs> ideas. But it was filled with rhetoric, rumors, and yeah. downright lies. Is that yeah. the future of our elections? <laughs> you never know. How about if this starts a precedent for reality TV campaigns? I don't know that you can rule that out. Here's a point that I tried to make throughout the campaign. We've always had campaigns in American history that deal with two aspects. The past for a candidate, right? Remember, where was that guy named Barack Obama born? You know, yeah. uh, what did and our new president? Uh, yeah, you got his it. ideas on that. Yeah. yeah, you got it. So, and and it's also about the personalities. I don't remember a campaign in my lifetime which was more focused on the past than the personalities, and less on the issues. I know a lot of the people here are shaking their heads. Trump got more serious about that in the last two weeks. He stayed on message. Remember, he had that 100-day agenda in the speech that he gave, the 10 points. He stuck to the issues. He didn't take the focus away from her. To go back to the a question you asked a, a, a moment ago, and I think that helped. But overall, this was much more about the, the personalities and the past for these candidates and much less about the future and what they would do. There was some of that. Oh, read it on my website. You know, you can find my health care plan. And then they'd go on to attack, you know, the, the other person. Well, you know, to be honest about it, though, uh, Hillary Clinton had more specifics oh, when yeah. she talked about, uh, you know, her plans. Sure. And again, I think that was one of the reasons that Trump's candidacy wasn't taken seriously by the establishment is that he, he yeah. talked in broad brushes yeah. that, you know, he identified the problems and did in a way many of the voters would say, well, he right. says what I'm thinking or yeah. what other people are thinking, but didn't really offer solutions. Right. Yeah. I mean, again, he had some solutions, to be, to be honest, but he didn't emphasize them. He talked more about the problems than he would use a generalization. We're going to fix that. That's going to change. And it's going to be great. And it's going to be great. That's right. Yeah. But look at the last two weeks of the campaign. It was these candidates berating each other. I mean, nonstop berating each other. Uh, for Clinton, uh, Trump's not qualified. Trump doesn't have the temperament. Trump doesn't have the judgment. For, uh, for Trump, it was Hillary's a liar. Hillary should be prosecuted. Hillary uh, isn't honest. It, she isn't trustworthy. And by the way, on honesty and trustworthy and character and temperament, you see both sides of that. Uh, these are candidates who had percentages of people who talked about that, the folks out there, 
we'd, we'd not seen before since polling began. See, uh, this goes back to the FBI bombshell. Right. If you look at the last two weeks that you're talking about, um, really the last time that Trump went off message was in Gettysburg. Gettysburg, I just read something yesterday about uh, how his campaign, the, the people in the campaign were pleading with him to stay on message oh, yeah, absolutely. in Gettysburg. But at the end, he said he would sue all those women who had accused him right. of sexually assaulting them. Right. Uh, and the campaign was like, oh, you know, he, here he did it again. Right. He, you know, he's right. going to make it all about that. Then the FBI bombshell dropped. Right. It took the attention off of that. I agree. And, and, I agree. And it went yeah. to Hillary Clinton. And that, yeah. I, many people would say what it did was reminded them of what they didn't like about Hillary Clinton. Yeah. All right. I so know. here's the question. How much of this was an anti-Clinton vote? Oh, I think a lot of it. Remember, for the, we ask a question, pollsters ask a question, are you voting for Hillary Clinton because, you know, you support her, you agree with her, or are you voting for her because you dislike Trump more? And reverse the question. We had percentages I've never seen before, 20, in some polls, 25, 35% of voters saying, uh-oh, I'm voting for Clinton, but I really dislike him more. It was a vote against somebody more than it was a vote for. Mm -hmm. And that was very prevalent to go to the very point you're making. And the other thing that I'm not, that we're, I'm not convinced of, this 14% that made up their mind, I think to some extent the business with the FBI plays into that. The fact that Trump stayed on message and that gave people. It's also, as you started out this discussion, this was a change election a change election. And Clinton was the Obama third term. She was the continuity candidate. No matter how she tried to move away from that, she was the continuity. Imagine if you're President Obama and you have to meet with Donald Trump. I just cannot imagine that conversation. They are <laughs> scheduled to meet tomorrow. Tomorrow, yeah. You know, another factor in this during the, the past week and a half is that the Affordable Care Act, the insurance exchanges, the premiums, right. the news about the, the insurance premiums and insurance companies dropping out, that came out as well and gave Trump an automatic way to say, you know, take a look at this. This is what we've been talking about. You're exactly we want to right. get rid of the Affordable <clears throat> Care Act. Here's exactly why. Right. And the fact that you're going to have these big individuals are going to have big premium increases in the individual plans. And the, some of the providers of insurance in our state, I'm not going to mention the names, are losing hundreds of millions of dollars. This is unsustainable. And I don't think, look, it's hard to find news that was particularly good for the Clinton campaign. I think that, that's your point. Throughout this whole discussion, there, there isn't any doubt about it. And then when you tie it to the strong support that Trump got that we've been chatting about here, it was a perfect storm, uh, not for, you know, for Trump, for Clinton. And, and we saw that play out. I have seen a number of people commenting today on social media talking about uh, Hillary Clinton. You know, much has been made about the history of the first uh, woman nominee of uh, a major party, and many people assumed was going to be the first woman president. Was there still, and I hate to think that this exists in this country today, but are there people who voted against Hillary Clinton because she's a woman? Oh, I'm sure there were a few. I don't think that was the overriding factor in, in, in the vote. Do I think there were some? Of course. <laughs> Just as there were folks four years or eight years ago who didn't vote for Barack Obama because he was black. I don't think that was a fundamental. 
You know what actually surprised me was on a few speeches that the electing the first woman president came up, but it wasn't a major part of her campaign. It wasn't something in every speech she articulated or made, it, made a big deal of it. Again, they did it a bit, but I was sort of surprised by that. And look, I said this about Obama's election eight years ago. This is a, that, this, that was a great moment. I don't, you don't have to vote for Obama for it, for or against him because of it. But whenever we clear these hurdles and move forward, it's a good thing in American society. And that would have been a good thing. Not that you should vote for her because of that. That's not the point I'm making. And we'll get there someday. And then there isn't any doubt that women have a tough time in politics. I've written about this. I've talked to groups about it, encouraging women to run for office. It's not easy. There are complicated reasons that we don't have time to get into. But I am surprised that she didn't play it up, that it wasn't used a lot more, Scott. All right, the follow-up question to that, though, is uh, maybe there weren't a lot of people across the country who voted against Hillary Clinton because she's a woman, but still, a majority of people were willing to vote for Donald Trump, oh. even though yeah. he, the way he talked about women I know. in a normal year, any other normal year, he, the man would have been disqualified a long time ago. People yeah. were willing to overlook that. There are two things about it. Number one, a lot of women, and this is more anecdotal than it is scientific, said, oh, I know lots of people who talk like that. In other words, even you know, men who talk like that in their daily lives. I'm not justifying it, believe me. It's wrong, but, but that happens. The other thing, and this is, this is true, I think a lot of people who supported Trump didn't care what he said. Because they didn't care what he said about John McCain not being a war hero. They didn't care what he said about Carly Fiorina's face. They didn't care of that celebrated, uh, how, which, how shall I put it, debate he had with Megyn Kelly on Fox that got a lot of attention, right? Yeah. They didn't care. You know why? Because they only know he was against the establishment. And some of the people that he was in this debate with, in these arguments with, were what? Part of the, the so-called dreaded establishment. They didn't care. About 25% of his supporters came by this time four years ago. I'm sorry, four years ago. This time last year. And they didn't waver, no matter what he said and did. And all of us so-called experts were, oh, what did he say about John McCain? He's picked on veterans. You're not a war hero. You're... He's done. He wasn't done. The same with Fiorina's face. You know, you and I talked about that all, all through the past year. Because they only cared that he was sticking it to the establishment, that he was taking it to the dreaded media to, con you know, to all the features of the modern establishment and running as the consummate outsider, even though you have to debate whether he's a real outsider or not. We can go through that argument as well. You're listening to Smart Talk on WITF, your home for NPR News and all things regional. I'm Scott Lamar. Welcome back to Smart Talk. I'm Scott Lamar. We are broadcasting live from the atrium at WITS Public Media Center. Pastries and politics, the first time we've ever done this. Kind of fun, you know, Terry, just uh, have a live audience and uh, sitting down and taking questions. And it's a little bit different, kind of a town hall meeting kind of feel. But if you have a question or a comment, uh, we are passing those along as well. 1-800-729-7532 or send an email to smarttalk at witf.org. 
Let me go to, back to uh, a few of the emails that we got. JT in New York says, I grew up in central Pennsylvania and have lived in Boston, D.C., and San Francisco. During elections, I would say to my friends in these cities, you don't realize there are a lot of people in the center of the country who have completely different issues. Now that I'm back in central PA, I realize that rural communities are disenfranchised and a struggle and are struggling like the big urban centers, but they don't have the name recognition like Detroit, Baltimore, yeah. or New York City. That's a point. Been, I think I've been making that point since we got on the uh -huh. air. And, uh, I mean, it's amazing the turnout. Wait till you see the turnout in some of these counties that, you know, represent just what the, uh, what, what the sub uh, email submission uh, said. Uh, you know, Trump loses Philly, he loses the Philly suburbs by a bigger percentage than, or Clinton wins the Philly suburbs by a bigger percentage than Barack Obama did four years ago, and she loses. I mean, think about what was going on in the, we keep we coming back to that point because that's where the, the, the individual who sent the email is, is, is at, uh, and it's exactly the point that we're making over and over again, just in different ways. Just this week, uh, a number of polls showed that uh, President Obama was as popular as he's ever been. In fact, I saw one story that said uh, that he's probably, right now, he has a higher percentage of right. favorable, as popular, more popular than Ronald Reagan uh, when he left office. But one of the questions we have here from the audience is this election result what does it say about the last eight years and the progress, yeah. and this is the question, of course, the progress that has been made yeah. in the last eight years? Well, other than when the president has gotten involved in the campaign, he has been much less divisive, the rhetoric. Uh, and there's a tendency, by the way, in the last couple of months, six months or so of a, president's, of a presidency to have the American public go through some kind of nostalgia already. And so some of their job performances have gone up. Look at Bill Clinton. He was 58, 60% job performance when the Republicans impeached him in the House but didn't convict him in the, in the Senate. And he went through all the trouble with Monica and all that stuff that was going on. And his popularity still went up. I think there was a disconnect between what Obama had done for eight years and what Clinton wanted to do. And that disconnect, does not get reflected in the Obama, in the Obama uh, job performance. Uh, and that is surprising given the fact that two-thirds of the American people say the country's moving in the wrong direction. Here's what's stunning. Over 90% of the Clinton voters, of the, of the uh, Trump voters say the country's moving in the wrong direction. Does that tell you something? Far greater than the national average. Mm -hmm. You know, one of the striking things about that is, and you, you do look back in history, people talk about uh, President Reagan and the conservative revolution at that time. But Reagan came into office talking about the shining city on the hill and yeah. uh, came in with optimism. And after, you know, Jimmy Carter's words, the malaise of the, the, the Carter years, country started uh, feeling better about itself, economy improved. Trump's just the opposite. Trump has a very dark image, and yeah. you know this was pointed out, especially at, at the right. uh, Republican convention. That, when, and 
just pointed out, a stunning statistic. 90% say the country's going the wrong direction, yeah. and Trump made it going the wrong direction would just kind of be an understatement the way yeah. he described it. Yeah, but how many different ways can you spell change? He was still ultimately the change candidate, and she was still ultimately the, the establishment. The establish Here's something else that we didn't talk about yet. I wonder if this is going to change the nature of campaigns. Here's a guy who spent comparatively very little money who actually used the media in ways that were unprecedented, getting all that coverage that the other candidates... I think that's a huge factor, but we'll talk about that in a second. Oh, you're interrupting me. No, <laughs> no go ahead. Go ahead. No, I'm only kidding. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, what I was going to say, I think that is a huge factor in the first few months of the Trump candidacy is that the summer before last, when he announced his candidacy... He got six months of free media oh, yeah. coverage oh, of because what he would do, and this is something about, the, I think the media has to take, a, you know, who is the media, but uh, yeah. we have to take a look in the mirror that because a candidate says something outrageous every day, it leads the top of the network news and the 24-7 cable channels. It just... All the other, you know, what were there, 17 other Republican candidates Six, who, yeah, who yeah. could not get any attention whatsoever I know. because I Trump know. was dominating I the know. airwaves in those first few months. I mean, I'll go as far as saying I think that was one of the major factors You're, in how is. he became the nominee. It is, and it was one of the major factors in why he got, he, there were, well, where's, where's, where's his headquarters? Clinton has a headquarters in every other block. She has organizers all over the place. He, you know, the complaint was he had some. You get it. I'm exaggerating it, but he had nothing. So let's see. He has no organization. He doesn't spend any money, and he wins the presidency of the United States. And what about all the so-called paid media? How many of those commercials really mattered when it all came down to it? You're going to be a real evaluation of that versus the earned media. As you point out, the press's willingness to cover somebody who's a little different, who's a little exciting, who's not conventional, and who can say, can I use the expression, outrageous things? I don't think we can deny that. Again, whether he meant him or not is another matter. Franklin sends in uh, an email, and this is a, a really good question, and I did want to talk about this a little bit. If the voters wanted change, why didn't they vote out the incumbents? And I think he's talking mostly about uh, the U.S. Senate. And, Pat and Toomey was in trouble, according to the polls. He won last night, and yep. the fact that, as you said yep. several times, the yep. Senate is going to continue to be Republican. Why yep. weren't incumbents defeated? Well, I think in many cases what you had there was a lot of uh, more straight-party voting down ballot. You know, the fear was that Trump would hurt Republicans down ballot. We all heard that, right? Uh-oh, they're in trouble. The Senate's gone. Uh, uh, the House, you know, the Democrats will pick up 15, 20 seats what happened is I think you had a lot more straight party voting that, that instead of the top of the ticket hurting, the top of the ticket actually might have helped. So coattails. Donald yes. Trump had coattails. Yeah. Yeah, now he, he's still running. I think he's still going to run behind in most states. I didn't look at the final Toomey numbers. I think Toomey ran ahead of Trump in the state. I could be wrong about that. But they were very close. And I think that's also. Part of it also is that you have the the, the, these differences in what each side wants to do, Democrats to Republicans, in terms of their positions. Mm. If the Russians do have the capacity to hack our voting machines, do you think they did? 
But I'll go one step further just to kind of follow up on that question is it was obvious that the Russians tried to influence this election. Right. How much of a factor was the WikiLeaks uh, yeah. that well, came whole, out almost every day? The whole WikiLeaks thing kept Clinton from, from gaining any leverage. It kept her on the defensive. Look at the last week or so of the campaign. She was much more defensive. In fact, she got she had a mannerisms on the stump that I hadn't seen before. She's normally very composed and, you know, man, she was a, a, a gesturing in ways that I had not seen before with her. And it just seemed like she was out of sorts. And you can say, you know, there are many candidates, men and women, who get out of sorts when they're up there campaigning just by what, what issues confront them and what's going on in, 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 the political, in their political lives. But I thought that almost discombobulated her. You could, you could just see it in her face that this was unnerving to her. And, but by the way, the, given the decentralized way in which we conduct elections, and there were some election regularities, but not enough to sway, sway the election. Let's, let's get honest about that. We have, we have uh, thousands of precincts in the state. They have, minority and minor, they have majority and minority party officials in every one of those voting places. Yeah, there, there's, there's fraud and that needs to be prosecuted, but overall, the Russians didn't change the outcome of the election by hacking in. Our, our system is so antiquated, it's not even linked up in any way that would make that possible. But they may have had an impact when it come, came to the WikiLeaks. The WikiLeaks, oh, I, I, you can't deny that. You can't deny that. It probably did, if it did anything, it accelerated the notion of change. It accelerated the notion of the people who were left behind that we talked about earlier. It made that more evident that it was just more of the establishment manipulating. Mm. Uh, here's a question from the audience. How do you believe these election results will impact the Democratic Party moving forward? Yeah. Will the progressive wing of the party pull the Democrats more to the left? And as the momentum, you know, what's ironic about this question is up until yesterday, you had people predicting the demise Republic. of the Republican Party yeah. that uh, I heard a column yesterday by David Brooks, yeah. New York Times, talking about uh, there, this is the opportunity for a third party to come about. Yeah. This morning, Democrats do have to take yeah. a look at the party. Yeah. I mean, I think what the Dem if the Democrats learn a lesson they have to learn that they just can't focus their attention on one group within the electorate. I'm back to the point I've been making over and over again. The Democrats are smart. They'll have an agenda to help the working class as well as the minority community. Why, why can't we do both? I don't understand why we, you know, the focus has to be. I know that's where the core of the, you know, the, the largest percentage of Democrats are not with white Democrats, but with African-Americans and Hispanics. I understand that. But why can't they develop an agenda that deals with both, both of the problems faced by these two, large, these two large groups? And I know what the numbers say about the increase in minorities and the decrease in the white vote that will come about, that has been coming about now for a decade, that will accelerate as we move forward. If the Democrats are smart, they'll develop an agenda that tries to accommodate both of the groups. I remember in the 1930s, it was the Democrats who represented the working class in this state. Oh, I don't even and, know if we go nation. back that far. Well, I you mean... don't have, but that's when the conversion first took place during the New Deal. That's when we had the major conversion 
to the Democrats, and they became the majority party. Yeah, as I said, I don't know if you, I understand what you're saying about history, but uh, I remember growing up that, uh, you know, was told that the the Democratic Party was uh, the party of the working man, that uh, this was the party that where unions belonged. And and at that time, there were more working people in unions that the Republicans were the party for uh, the corporate interest, the business owners, those kind of people. It's all... It's all different, Terry. No, 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 I couldn't agree more. I mean, in that change, we call them Reagan Democrats. That's where the change, we see the material change first starting to take place in, 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 in America. Jim from Halifax asks, uh, to what extent do the election results reflect larger global, larger global oh. change trends that are out of control of any country, including this one? Many people pointed to <clears throat> Brexit, what yeah. happened with the United yeah. Kingdom. What about well, that? Well, more importantly... We're now in a global community. We're all linked together in so many different ways. How do you retreat and become an isolationist country in that environment? Now, yes, are there some trade agreements that can be redone? You know what I mean? That can help protect workers more than the current trade agreements have done. Look, even Hillary Clinton, in the end, didn't support the Trans-Pacific Partnership. She originally supported and said, well, I didn't see the final. Once I saw the final, you know, I, I was against it. So I think there's a growing consensus that we, A, we can't eliminate ourselves from the global community, and yes, we can figure out a way to do it so that other countries don't take advantage of us and that everything, that our workers, you know, don't suffer as a result of it. I don't know that that's an either-or proposition. We ought to be able to figure out a way to do both. And that, remember what Trump did to his group of biggest supporters. What did he talk about? Return manufacturing. Get rid of the bad trade deals. He even talked about bringing back coal. You know, coal can be king again. Is it realistic? Well, I think it's realistic to redo some of the trade agreements, but some of the old industrial parts of our economy are not coming back in the same way they existed before. Mm. You know, the, I think, again, what surprised many people is that the economic news has been has been good over the last few years. It's just that uh, the jobs that have been created uh, are not paying like they did yeah. back when uh, the, you know, those manufacturing jobs uh, dominated. Uh, right. Terry Madonna, I want to thank you very much for being with us. Uh, My pleasure. Thanks. been a lot of fun. I kind of like just shotgun approach uh, <laughs> sending questions to you. But, sort of uh, like the campaign. Yeah, <laughs> it really was. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I think maybe a, a lot of us have to take a look at, uh, at this and how we handle the future. But uh, Dr. G. Chair Donna Franklin Marshall College, thank you very much for being with us today. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Coming up on uh, tomorrow's program, speaking of the Affordable Care Act, uh, the uh, insurance exchanges opened on November 1st. Every year we have uh, a few people on the program to answer what changes there are. Now we may be talking about the major changes, but that's coming up on tomorrow's program. Talk to you then.